Hey, folks, welcome back today. Zooming in from one of the most beautiful cities in Canada, Halifax, Nova Scotia. We've got a rock and roll real estate entrepreneur, Ian Armore, who is, he's done all sorts of stuff in the Maritimes. And now he's expanding into the States, going from little deals to much bigger deals. So we're going to have a really interesting conversation. Welcome to the show, Ian. Well, thank you very much for having me. I was just saying uh, before we started recording how funny it is to talk with you one-on-one opposed to just listen to you because, uh, yeah, I've listened to a lot of these episodes, uh, learned lots, take lessons of, from uh, what people have said on there and applied them to my own real estate investing. So I guess the ultimate goal is hopefully someone listening there today can take something that I say today and apply that to their real estate investing. So uh, again, thank you so much for having me. Um, it, it truly is an honor. Well, thank you, Ian. And thank you for the kind words. And I'm sure people will get lots of value from, from your experience. But before we get into that, because I am really curious about this whole transition in the States and just the logistical side of things, the Canadians investing in the States. So I'd love to chat with you about that. But let's talk a little bit about how you got into real estate in the first place, because you've been doing this for a while now. Yeah, so uh, I, I don't have a uh, super unique um, origin story. It all sort of started when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad many, many moons ago. Yeah, And uh, so uh, that was when I was in, I think, my second year university. And from that point on, it was pretty hard to focus on school <laughs> and wanting to uh, learn how to be a good employee. So uh, as, as, especially I, if you read that next book where he said, whatever it is, why A students work for C students or yeah, whatever yeah. that one was. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very much that uh, mentality, that switch, um, that changed right into entrepreneurship. So my my parents, they were um, they were lawyers. They were very much by the system, um, didn't own any assets other than the the family house. Um, and they worked all the way up to retirement. And I, you know, after reading that, I realized, you know, there is another option out there that you don't just have to uh, live the status quo, go to school, get a trade, whatever it is, and do it. So, uh, so I ended up uh, not finishing university and uh, went on to actually start a roofing company. So I knew, well, I, I at the time had the limiting beliefs that I couldn't just jump right into real estate, but I wanted to be entrepreneurial and start a business, um, fully intending to get into real estate and and getting into, you know, buying some buy and holds, all that good stuff. So. Um, so yeah, started a roofing company, which I still own, operate today. Um, I'm only maybe an hour a week, maybe two hours a week on that. Um, that's, you know, uh, a, a fairly large business out here. It's about five crews running, uh, wow. every day, that type of stuff. So yeah, so that, that's, that's uh, nailing a lot of tortillas on the roofs. That's, that's sure. ex exactly correct. And I was the one na nailing said tortillas for the first probably three, four years. So, uh, and all, all the while, another huge resource for me for, you know, shaping where I am now and what I wanted to do was actually got on to listening to real estate podcasts such as yourself. Uh, Bigger Pockets was probably my, my main one. I'm sure many people mm -hmm. listening are familiar with that, but that really got the wheels turning on how this you know, incredibly difficult thing of real estate investing, how it could actually be broken down into steps and you could actually just 
figure out what the next step is. We're not reinventing the wheel here. We're simply seeing what people did before us and just trying our best to, to copy it and put our own little spin on it. So, uh, so yeah, so again, owned the roofing company and ran it for about seven years or so. And mm-hmm. then um, uh, got to a point where I could hire on more people to, to run more of the day to day. And then I said, okay, it's time to get into the real estate side of things. So uh, bought my first home, um, yeah, probably about seven years ago now. It was just a single family home in Halifax um, with an unfinished basement with the, uh, the plan being to finish the basement, put a unit down there. Um, so I'm actually still sitting in this the, that same house as we do this uh, this podcast. So that have you got the unit that... in there now? Oh yeah, unit's been right. in there for years. So I actually Airbnb it, and ah, nice. uh, it, it you know pays for the whole mortgage, so I can basically you know live for free on on that the ultimate side of house hack. Yeah, so an ultimate nice. house hack. Before that, it was a true host uh, host hack where I had about four of my buddies move in with me, and uh, it was. Uh, <laughs> Fun and that was while. like, yeah, that was like early <laughs> mid twenties type deal. So you could imagine how that went. I so it's imagine, like, yes. it, yeah. So, it, you know, it was great that uh, my mortgage was all getting paid for and life was good, but could get uh, distracted fairly easy with that. Yeah, I'm so. thinking that was rough on the liver. Oh, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but again, learned my lessons from all that stuff and kept yeah, going. So then, uh, yeah, exactly. So yeah, after my first house, uh, I then got into flipping houses um, okay. and uh, probably did, you know, seven, eight or those um, over another two, three years type deal. Um, learned a lot more because I could do everything from the roof up. So I learned a lot about doing everything from the roof down um, on the first few. Definitely did a lot of them myself, uh, a lot of the work myself, rather um, had some buddies to come help out with, you know, the electrical or plumbing or whatever it is. But a lot of the the, the grunt sweat equity labor type activities were uh, were done by myself. Um, and again, learned a lot of lessons there, um, just how, you know, putting a host together after you tear it apart. So, uh, definitely some valuable lessons there. Um, but then again, um, had some time, some, uh, some time to reflect on what I was doing and, you know, we, we go back to where the whole rich dad, poor dad thing came into play. Mm-hmm. And when you're flipping houses, it, it it's very much just another job. So you're just trading your time for money. Yes. The profits can be nice. Um, but ultimately I wasn't setting up that passive income outside of my, my roofing company, which was still somewhat active, but, uh, so then had the uh, the brain or the uh, mindset shift again, or I guess realign because this was always the original goal um, and went out and uh, started marketing heavy for smaller multifamily buildings. Um, and then in about... now is this in the Halifax area that you were looking yep. originally? Yeah. Yep. This okay. is in right in Halifax. Yeah. I, all my real estate at that point, um, all in Halifax or, you know, within half an hour of Halifax type deal. So you say you started marketing for these. So I guess you got some, you're getting pretty good at finding the off-market deals for the flips. So you yep. started applying that for the small multis as well? Yep. And we were most, or I was, yeah, me and, uh, you know, people I had working with me, we were most successful with direct mail. So we were actually sending out 
a lot of letters. We'd go on the registry of joint stock, figure out who owns what. And uh, we, you know, first we'd start, we'd drive around and identify buildings and we'd look them up. We'd send them letters and we'd just, you know, send a couple hundred a month. And uh, yeah, so we landed some really nice flips that way. And then we, we took a very similar approach and applied that to the multifamily side of things. And so this is uh, pre-COVID still. Um, so we're at this point. I've, I've I bought one Aplex, then I bought another one, um, and I guess the uh, financial structure to that. So it was myself and my partner at the time. We went out and we found a equity partner where they put up all the funds. And mm-hmm. they get 50% equity. We're doing a value add where we're just, you know, fixing the apartments up and uh, getting the rents up with the plan. We're going to refinance, pay the investor back, and we just split the, the equity in the building 50-50. So, uh, so that's what we we did on the first eight unit. And, yeah. um, you know, through it, uh, we started, you know, that was into COVID and into the interest uh, rates going up. So we, we at first weren't able to pull out all the money for that. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause again, we were doing a lot of our underwriting. Based on uh... interest rates, but when yeah. they went up as far as they did, um, our debt service ratios were off. So we couldn't quite get the loan to value on the refinance. So mm-hmm. some money was left in it and, uh, we're actually going to pivot on that and just do a refinance through CMHC because they'll give you up to 80% loan to value and, right. uh, and they'll amortize it over 40 years. And, you know, they have, you know, fairly attractive interest rates compared to what's out on the open market right now. Mm -hmm. So that's our plan with that. And then my other eight unit building um, is slightly, um, slightly worse tenant base there um, Mm -hmm. from like a socioeconomics means. Um, They basically, the other building, um, as as I'm sure everyone is familiar with, like the tenancy laws around Nova Scotia, Ontario, like OS, all that stuff, they're they're really strict. So to try and do these value adds, yes, we have to move people out of the building. And where we were in our better neighborhood, we were actually able to buy out a lot of them to do the cash for keys, you know, between three and five grand and uh, pay for their moving fees and people were happy to to go move to another place and all was good then in our our area that's a little bit rougher some of these people have been there six seven eight years their their son lives in the unit beside them and uh there's just absolutely no no dollar value that yeah they're yeah. yeah so they're stuck in they're happy to be there they're paying you know, 700 bucks in Ooh. rent to 800 yeah. bucks in rent and market there is probably, you know, at a minimum 12. Um, so we really hit a wall with that one. Um, still own it now, but uh, now we're actually looking to uh, to sell that. So again, we bought that one, you know, but we got, again, a really good deal on it. So we, we, we're, we're just pivoting our strategy there instead of going through and stabilizing it. We're uh, going to just sell that one and then uh, take that money and go down in the state. So that'll All catch right, you so up. Let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. Again. So you've decided to, to move down to the States. It sounds like you've had a good experience. You had a crappy experience in, 
in Nova Scotia with the multifamilies because of primarily the landlord tenancy rules and regulations being much more in favor of the tenants. So what was that first kind of light bulb that things look a little rosier south of the border? Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, I, and I'll tell you, so, you know, but to tell everyone else, so I just closed on a 24 unit building down in Cleveland, Ohio, but we're probably, you know, a year or so plus into looking into the States, but mm. the, the, that's just the most attractive thing right off the hop is a, the lower, um, price barrier to entry to get into. Cause up here in Nova Scotia, we're underwriting deals, you know, every day, every other day, and just to try and pencil them in to make them work is, is near impossible. Then if we are successful in buying a building, then the, the idea of trying to renovate or cash for keys, like the tenants, like uh, again, Nova Scotia, like many places in Canada, our vacancies less than 1%. So yeah. no one wants to move. Uh, you hear landlords in the news, uh, you know, every other day trying to just do what we're trying to do. And uh, and it's a huge divide. Like landlords are enemy number one in the news right now. And, uh, and you know, we're fresh off the heels off of our rent caps all all the while all of our expenses are going through the roof and and property values aren't uh, any less in fact they seem to be like they're they're climbing in value and so to try and find a deal here is is ridiculous and even on our other deals we, you know we'll refinance yeah we'll do a perfect burr on them but even after that our cash flow isn't anything to write home about so yeah. So again, uh, just networking with people, getting in the right groups, um, having some, you know, friends with some common interest. We were all interested in the, the, this, what we hear about what's happening down in the States, lower barrier to entry, um, you know, your cost per unit's almost half of what it is here. You don't have those tenancy issues. And uh, and so we got pretty hooked in on that. So we decided, um, a few of us, we decided to team up and really take a swing at the States. So we spent months picking a market. We spent months, you know, figuring out what the banking systems are like, what the, um, you know, if we're going to start a fund or a syndication or how that's going to work. So it was it was definitely a, a few months of planning. Um, and then we started making some offers and eventually um, at the prices that work for us, we started getting some offers accepted. So uh, nice. So that's yeah. So that's so, uh, so let's back up on that, if you don't mind, Ian, and kind of yeah. give us the big picture overview. You say you and your team. So you've decided not to try and do this solo. So question number one, what does it, the team look like? How many people on your team? Who's doing what? How did you guys decide to, you know, how, how are you dividing and conquering, so to speak? And then yep. I'll get to the other questions. So let's start with that one. Yeah. So right now um, on the the 24 unit that we had just purchased, there's three active partners and then there's, um, I believe, four four capital partners that came up with the, the money for it. Then um, for the active partners, there's two of us uh, in Halifax, Nova Scotia, um, a buddy of mine, Manny. So he he actually was on a podcast of yours. I'm, I can't remember the episode uh, 
but he was talking about how he was looking down in the states and so now i get to follow up and say yeah we actually nice. went forward and purchased there and then our other partner uh is thomas Lorraine, and he is a member of uh, wealth genius so he's one of the the head speakers coaches at wealth genius so he's actually a dual citizen um grew up in canada but now lives down in california so having uh, an American on board uh, has made a huge difference in mm. the the financing that we can qualify. So right. you don't necessarily have to go down and have an active U.S. partner, but you know anyone with aspirations of investing in the states, um, if you can find uh, a U.S. individual with a, a decent net worth, that's going to make life a lot easier. Even if he's just a sponsor on the deal. You know, they get equity in the deal, but that's just one huge hurdle that you're you're going to struggle with. So if you can find someone down there, it, I know for us, that made a huge difference. So, so how, yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Now who's, so out of the three active partners, what do you guys, how do you divvy up responsibilities? Who's, how do you kind of stay in your lanes? Who's doing what, how did you divide that up? Yeah, so it's um, we we all have our areas that we're you know more familiar with. So uh, and and it, it's kind of a mix. Um, so you know, Thomas, the the U.S., he's got the the most experience, so he kind of oversees a good chunk of stuff. Mm -hmm. Then uh, Manny and myself, we just sort of divide up a lot of the work as it comes in. So like I would do a lot of the underwriting. Uh, Manny and I both were, well, all three of us were very active in the uh, acquisition side of things for finding deals because that's been a huge part of it. Um, and then the day-to-day -day stuff, um, I guess all three of us, we meet with our property managers down there once a week, uh, stay on top of them. And then as tasks come in, we we make a list of it and we just divide that up and uh, we all go after, say, you know, in, just based on whatever role it is so that uh, there's not uh, not necessarily, you know, this person just does this. It's kind of a team effort um, yeah. based on whatever is going on at the time. So, so you, you brought on four capital partners in this deal. Yep. How did you find these people? What kind of total capital was required? Are they Canadian? Are they American? How does that kind yep. of look? Yeah. So for this one, um, I, yeah. So uh, something we'll get to later is so we're we actually have another 76 units under contract right now that we're doing an active raise for. So those numbers are a little fresher in my mind. Um, but the 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 one that we did close on, I believe it was about five fifty six hundred thousand um, dollars in the raise. And that was Canadian. Then the majority of our partners were um were Canadian. And so, yeah, met them at networking events. Um, they came on again as equity partners. So basically they send their money over, they get, uh, get to see the, um, the corporate docs that says, this is your name at your percent. And, uh, and again, the, the plan is to do the value add. So with them, I believe it's about two years. Our plan is, you know, get the rents up and then be able to refinance, pull out uh, the the money and away we go. Nice. So again, being Canadians, most of you investing in the States, how were you set up? What What kind of structures did you guys have to set up in Canada, in the States, you know, to 
to see some sort of flow of of cash flow if that's going to be part of it or to and to avoid the whole double taxation type thing but what does that look like ian yeah so it, it's fairly complicated but i'll give you the the easy the version calls, of it the call, yeah, yeah the you. calls notes <laughs> so it it's an lpgp structure and it it also is uh, in the same light it's uh, set up as like a joint venture so okay. when you have a joint venture it makes the taxation side of things a lot easier it's when you get into the funds the syndications that if those aren't set up right you have to pay the irs and then you have to then go and pay the cra so when it's under the joint venture umbrella again they look at it as like a smaller deal so what we'll be doing is we'll do all of our our taxes on the u.s side of things so we'll be able to still depreciate the asset um we'll we'll do um all the the filings and all that good stuff and then the cra will look at the irs and say yeah we see that they've done everything that the way that they're supposed to and then from there the disbursements are able to just be sent right up to canada yeah because they've already been taxed yeah. at the source so yeah. when it comes to the legal structure gplp have you got something set up in canada and something set up in the states or are you just one thing in the states no and uh, again we explored that model um at length uh the uh lawyers and accountants that we dealt with down there uh said we just need the uh the gplp down in the states now they're on our next one the uh, investors might need a u.s corp and the so the gplp will pay the u.s corp and then the u.s corp will send the money up to canada on the current one that we have set up uh we we weren't required to do it so a lot simpler a lot more streamlined because it's a smaller deal not so many not so yeah. many partners involved there so you're going to be scaling up to this much larger property is you're working on a 76 unit uh, yeah. building this time so am i is it fair to say that's probably beyond the scope of of doing a joint venture there or are you looking for some really three or four really well-heeled investors that can then put up some serious cash. Yeah. So with that one, so it's, it's 76 total units. It's actually two 38 unit buildings. So one of them is already fully funded and both of them were about the raise is about 1.2 million. Um, so one, we had one person come in and say, I like this deal. They're going to nice. be the ones on that. Then on the other one where we've got, interest from a lot of people and now it's just a matter of okay let's pick the uh the partners that we want to be in business with for the next few years even though they're they're capital partners and uh, they're still very much uh part of the business so you you know we're not just grabbing money from anyone that we can um you know there are people that we typically have relationship or we're one person away from the relationship uh, they're not super high maintenance, um, that they they understand what we're doing. Uh, it's not just people throwing their money over. They need to realize, you know, there is some risk here. Yes, mm -hmm. you know, the, the plan is to do this perfect burr, but there's, you know, if interest rates keep going up or whatever there, the reason. There's a chance it might not be perfect exactly yeah. so um we need people that could absorb that it's not their last you know a hundred thousand dollars that they they're absolutely absolutely going to need back mm -hmm. um and uh yeah makes sense ian well so it, it sounds like this will be a joint venture then you you don't need that yep. many people 
That's correct. That's good. That really simplifies things. So moving ahead, what 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 are you guys planning to do? It sounds like you're getting some pretty good traction down on the states now. Is the 76 unit also around Cleveland or, or is yeah, it somewhere else? Uh, yeah, right in Cleveland. So we've identified Cleveland market as as the market we want to be focus, in. Focus, yeah. Yeah, it's not a sexy market. It's a stable market. And that's what we want. We, uh, It's not a huge boom or bust. It's just, uh, you know, steady Eddie. The, steady Eddie. And, uh, you know, for us to hit our numbers, like we really only need to get the current rents up maybe 200 bucks per unit. Um, so, you know, we're not promising the world. We're not trying to, you know, reinvent a whole new building model or anything like this. It's literally go in, make the appropriate, um, renovations and get the building up to, up to where we, we see it is where the fair market is where, you know, just around the block, we're seeing rents at the, at this level. Nice. Um, so that's, uh, that's the plan there. So after we close on these ones, um, we're, we still got the the pedal to the metal. We're still analyzing deals. We're still, you know, at, at this one, we're raising money, but we're talking to lots of people. And uh, this one's a, a three-year burr. Um, so some people they they that are interested in investing, they say, no, we want a project that can be done in 16 months or whatever it is. So we're we're building up our CRM full of potential investors, keeping them in the know of some of the projects we're looking at. And uh, yeah, we're just we're 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 also trying to add more so team what, members. What, what, what are you doing to generate these investor leads? Because it sounds like you guys are pretty pretty active with that. So what do you find is working well for you guys, Ian? Uh, a lot of networking, um, being active on social media. Um, those would be the the two biggest ones that we're finding now. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we're also uh, being quite deliberate in our money uh, raising. So not only are we just chatting with people, but uh, we're set, we're in the process now of setting everything up in the CRM. So all of our follow-ups are automatic. We can book meetings whenever we want. But we're uh, spending a good time, a uh, good amount of time when we're we're chatting with these individuals to ask for referrals as well if they know other people that are are potentially interested in something like this. And we're just trying to let it it grow organically. And we're also trying to get out there, put our name out there, uh, you know, the website, social media, all that good stuff to to continue growing that, and really just start the the brand side of things as well. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so it's a mix of uh, a bunch of different things. Uh, I, I'd say the the face to face networking is has yielded the the investors that are actually coming through and are serious about it. And then um, a lot of the other stuff is bringing in a lot of interest. Uh, but I think you know it's natural that they want to see us do a few of these deals. Although we've done you know multiple deals all over the country. Uh, in the in Canada, it's a whole different ball game once we're going down in the states. So I think, yeah, people just want to see that we're 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 serious, we're sticking around, and uh, and I think that's where they we'll want, continue they want to see to... some success. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, especially Canadians tend to be quite conservative. So <laughs> exactly, yeah, <laughs> it's very like, much so. Let let me see it before I put my undergranded. Well, that yep. that is great. So the the networking, what have you found to be the better places for finding these kind of investors that can come up with between a hundred grand and a million bucks. 
Yeah. So um, I know um, in Halifax, we actually started our own one. Um, nice. So we, we we do like a monthly meetup. Um, so again, whether that's uh, raising money from those people directly or asking for referrals. Um, so that's been great. Um, there's lots of groups online, as I'm sure the, the listeners are familiar with. There's, a you know, hundreds of real estate groups out there. Um, but being active in those, not just one post saying, hey, I'm trying to raise some money. Um, it's uh, hey, uh, answering questions, being uh, top of mind when people think this is what, you know, someone that's out there actually investing all that stuff. Um, but then uh, being able to put posts in there saying, hey, guys, we've got a new project. Uh, here's the information. Let me know if you're interested. So um, having some success with that as well. Um, and then some of the groups out there. So there, there's lots of, uh, of different investing groups. Some people hate them and think they're just like gurus and stuff. And, you know, they're, you're not actually getting much from it. Um, so the content's one thing, but when you're you're in a group and you actually get to meet up and network with these types of people, that's when you can actually form some relationships with yeah. like-minded people that uh, typically have some money to 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 invest. So, well, that is great. Well, Ian, congratulations on on the big move. It sounds like you guys are doing well with that. If people want to connect with you, what's the number one way they can do that? Yeah. So, um, so for my Halifax stuff, uh, refined real estate. So we're on Instagram as refined real estate NS. Uh, so that would be one. We also have a podcast out, uh, refined real estate podcast on Spotify, Apple music, YouTube, all that good stuff. Uh, you can reach out to me directly, um, emails, Ian at refined real or my Instagram is armor underscore ian i believe it is there you go yeah. all right yeah. well ian thanks for being on the show my friend appreciate it yes thank you it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, i hope some people could take something away from this i'm sure they will all right everybody talk to you soon on the next episode